For the scripture today, I'm reading from the Common English Bible. This is the story of Mary, as told by Luke at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 26 of his gospel. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will that ha this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman, who was labeled unable to conceive, is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Later, Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth and exclaims, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their throne, thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised our ancestors to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. The word of the Lord. Well, hopefully you could feel in Barbara's reading that she identified with Mary, which is what I want to have happen as a result of this morning's sermon is that we somehow can identify with Mary and some of us men are going uh-huh good luck trying to get me to identify with her the picture Luke paints at the beginning of his gospel and the story of Jesus birth uh, reminds me of what a critic an art critic said of the genius of Vincent van Gogh. His genius was that he exaggerated the essential, but he left the obvious vague. And 
if you think of his work, you see that and you feel that in his work. You, he pulls you in and you focus on what he is calling attention to and the other elements you don't pay attention to. He's, they, they sort of fade. I think this is what Luke is doing with his narrative. But what was obvious for his readers is not so obvious for us. We come from a different time and a different cultural context. So I want to help fill in some of, of what would have been that background or um, the other elements of the story. For example, the region of the Galilee, the upper Galilee where this story takes place, is a rural area remote from most of the centers of Israel's history and life. But in that region was a major trade route from east to west. And as a result of it being a trade route, there were Gentiles that inhabited that region. In fact, in an earlier text in Isaiah, it refers to that region as the Galilee of the Gentiles. Um, and the thing that makes that startling is not only is it inhabited by Roman soldiers, but also international merchants and trade uh, and traders who, who occupied that land. And they were people of wealth and of means and of power, living among the, the people of the land is the text, is the, is the way... Um, the, uh, the, the nationals, the Israelites, were referred to. Um, and there's a stark contrast between these Gentiles who were wealthy and powerful and the people of the land who lived impoverished lives. Just, just meager existence. So you can imagine this gave rise to the religious conviction and expectation of waiting in hope for God to send the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would come and rescue his people. People dreamed of the day that God would free them from the hands of their enemies to right the wrongs that they had long endured at their hands and to reverse their misfortunes, to finally bring honor and glory back to the nation. They carried this hope and longing in their hearts, and you might even say it carried them. Much like the refugees and immigrants who are camped at our own border, who dream of belonging to a land of promise, a land of freedom, a place where they can feel safe and secure and give their children a future and a hope. Whether an immigrant seeking asylum or someone burdened by their own misfortunes, hoping for a change in status can feel like a far-off dream. But for people living in the region of the Galilee in the first century, it was a dream they expected to be fulfilled in their lifetime. It was at this time, this low ebb of Israel's life story, that God sent the angel Gabriel, to a young peasant girl in Nazareth named Mary. His greeting startled her. 
Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. And when he noticed that it didn't have the effect he was hoping for, I, I sometimes watch that happen too with me. I think of myself as Dale, but I forget sometimes that I also bear a title pastor. And sometimes people see me as pastor before they see me as Dale. And I have to figure out what I just did that, that ha caused that look on their face. And that's kind of what happened. And so Gabriel goes, oh, yes, I'm an angel. I forgot. So then he comes back and says, don't be afraid. It's like he has a script. Don't be afraid. <laughs> God is with you. You're going to give birth to God's son, the promised one that everyone's been waiting for. His beginning starts with you. His beginning starts with you. Mary may have dreamed that God would come to rescue Israel in her lifetime, but she probably never dreamed that God's coming would involve her. And I think too many people in our world today acknowledge that God exists and may even acknowledge some of God's character that's depicted in Scripture. But they've never conceived of God having something to do with them personally. And like Mary, they've never imagined God acting on their behalf or for their good. But guess what? We are Advent people who get to tell them it's true. We get to tell them of God's coming to bring life and to bring God's favor into their life and into this world. Once Gabriel's words register with Mary, she questions how it's even biologically possible for her to give birth when she's never had relations with a man. Gabriel says, oh, don't worry about that. God's power will, will make it happen. And then, typical, he leaves off details of how and speaks rather to the effect. This child will be holy, God's son. And as a descendant of David, he will be Israel's true king. And he will establish God's rule in this world forever. I like how Tom Wright draws out the implications of Luke's story of what was essential both for Luke's readers and for us today. He says it this way, Put all this together, the conception of a baby, the power of God, the challenge to all human empires, and we can see why this story is explosive. Perhaps some of the fuss and bother about whether Mary could have conceived Jesus without a human father is because deep down we don't want to think that there might be a king who could claim this sort of absolute allegiance of us all. So we focus on the vague and the details that aren't the essential. Gabriel confirms the truth of his announcement with Mary by telling her that the news of her cousin Elizabeth is also with child. Unable to conceive and beyond childbearing years, she too has been given life by God. And Luke, again, leaves the curious questions aside to emphasize the essential. And Gabriel says, nothing's impossible with God. Luke presents Mary as a model of faith 
in her response to this wild and outrageous news. With humility and yielding acceptance, she replies, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have said. Let it be with me as you have said. Now, try to imagine if she had said, I don't think so. Um, perhaps you got the wrong house. Uh, two doors down is someone who, who goes to synagogue a lot more often than I do, and I think you want her. The beginning of Mary's story and everything about her emphasizes the lowliness of her stature and standing in this world. But that will not be her ending. She goes to visit Elizabeth and the two mothers-to-be celebrate what God is doing in and through them, both expecting to give birth, one beyond her years of viable pregnancy and the other well ahead and outside the norm of all family expectations. The promise given to their ancestors that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's family was coming true. What started as Gabriel's announcement, the angel that's depicted in this paper cut, becomes Mary's pronouncement known as the Magnificat. As her soul spills out, spills over in praise. This one who was, was startled to be called favored one now exclaims a song all about God. God the saving one, God the powerful one. God the Holy One, God the Merciful One, God the Faithful One. The theme and emphasis of Mary's song is repeated in Jesus' message of the kingdom, which we've already um, talked about and, and uh, studied together. How the poor and the hungry who have need to hear, hear Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom with, with open hearts. And ready acceptance. But those who have wealth and means, who have possessions, they have no need, no such need of God. So they don't hear that as good news. It's not news they need to hear. The unexpected elements of this story are characteristic of the whole gospel and of our ability to hear it and receive it unless we're like Mary unless we identify with her we will not receive it God chooses the unexpected to make himself known God chooses to give worth to what the world undervalues God chooses the weak to demonstrate his strength God begins from a place of humility and vulnerability to convey his love for a world that has turned its back on him, that has no need of him. Unless we become like Mary, not necessarily giving birth to the Messiah, but become like her in the acceptance of God's coming and God wanting, wanting to personally be with us to renew and restore his relationship with us, and therefore our relationship with one another, then we'll never enter the kingdom that Jesus brings, the announcement that he proclaims. 
And then this meal that he offers that reminds us yet again that it's he gives life through the sacrifice of his own. Something the disciples who spent their three years with him still didn't comprehend when he breaks bread with them and reminds them of God's great deliverance in the Exodus and says, there's going to be another deliverance, a new beginning, a new freedom in me. Let us prepare our hearts to make room to receive him.